You're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast, the official channel for faith and life topics at PursueGod.org. Join us every week as we explore new topics from a biblical perspective. All right, today we are in part two of our little mini-series, Pastor John Bellis, on the Israel-Hamas conflict. For if anyone who's listening who didn't listen to last week's episode where we talked about dispensationalism versus covenant theology, make sure to listen to that. That's the theological framework for this as a Christian. How do I think about this whole conflict? But John, today I, I want to just get like, this is where the rubber meets the road. I want to, I want to, no matter where somebody lands on it, with when in terms of theology, I think we've got some really important things to say to men and women, anyone who's listening in terms of how to think about this conflict and what to do about it. Like, should people choose a side on this conflict? And I want to start out, Brian, by saying the conflict we're talking about. So there, there's this long, drawn-out conflict between Israel and surrounding Arab nations. We're going to touch on that a little bit. But really, guys, when, when we're asking the question, should you choose a side? We're specifically talking about between Israel and Hamas, between what's going on between the nation of Israel and what's going on in in the Gaza Strip. And, and I think it might be helpful even just to orient our listeners to, I mean, maybe you're maybe you're a geography buff and you already know where the Gaza Strip is. You already know what Israel looks like, or maybe you're more like me <laughs> and you live in rural Utah and and it's so far removed from you. But you know, the Gaza Strip is in the southwest corner of Israel. So if you picture Israel, it's kind of like a, a little bit like an upside down triangle, like a wedge. And, and the Gaza Strip is this little chunk of territory in the southwest portion of, of Israel. Uh, so that that's where we're talking about. That's where these attacks took place from on October 7th. And, and again, we're going to, we're going to bring into today's conversation, a, a history, a backdrop on the greater conflict but I just want to say when, when we're asking, should you choose a side, we're, we're talking about this more specific conflict and what's going on right now. Because I do believe, Brian, as we talked about last week, choosing a side could be a little murkier depending upon your, your theological bent um, for you know the nation of Israel as a whole. But I would say regardless of whether you would call yourself a, a covenant theologian or a dispensationalist, to me, it's pretty easy to see that there is a good guy and a bad guy in this mm-hmm. situation that happened on October 7th. Yeah, and I, I think some <clears throat> some Christians, John, might be watching the news and seeing what's, you know, all the bombing now and all the loss of life in Gaza. And I, man, I, I sure hope our Christians listening, like, feel compassion for those innocent civilians. And again, not it's not like they're all innocent. Okay, I get it. I, they're not... Some of them voted for Hamas. Some of them hate Jews. Okay, I, I get all of that. We're not at all justifying that. That is that's terrible. But but God cares about human lives, and and every one of those, every person in the conflict was made in God's image. Now, every person in the conflict is born into sin, just like we are. But they're all made in God's image. So I think I don't know, John. Do you do you feel this tension sometimes when you talk to people at our church where where they're like to be pro-Israel, to be on the side of Israel means that that we're against civilians in Gaza or something like that. I I just don't think people should feel that tension. I think you should 
love and care for every human life involved. You should pray that that the gospel is shared with every single one of them, even even as you feel strongly about um, maybe supporting Israel's right to be a state or something like that. Well, absolutely. I mean, Jesus told us to love our enemies. So hmm. one of the takeaways I hope our listeners take from this. So I, again, I believe there's a good guy and a bad guy in this in this particular conflict between Hamas and Israel. And I think Israel's the good guy. And I think mm-hmm. Hamas is the bad guy. Right. And that doesn't mean that every Israeli is a good person. It doesn't mean that every Palestinian is a bad person. But we have to call out right and wrong. We have to call out good and evil. In fact, the Bible commands us to do that. Let me just read a couple of Proverbs. Proverbs 17, 15, because God cares about good and evil. He cares about justice. So Proverbs 17, 15 says, acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. Or Proverbs 18, 5, it is not good to be partial to the wicked and so deprive the innocent of justice. So as you just said, Brian, we're not putting forth here that every Jewish person is good. I'm not putting forth that every Palestinian is evil. We're talking about Israel and Hamas specifically. But there are stated objectives of the Hamas organization that are evil. This isn't you know me or you or, or some commentator like putting a spin. Mm-hmm. There are objectives right out of... The Hamas Covenant from 1988, their founding documents, their constitution, if you will, that that say what their objectives are. And the reason I bring this up is history tends to repeat itself. So I've got a, a quote from William Shirer from his book, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. He says, not every German who bought a copy of Mein Kampf necessarily read it. But it might be argued that had more non-Nazi Germans read it before 1933 and had the foreign statesmen of the world perused it carefully while there was still time, both Germany and the world might have been saved from catastrophe. So the idea behind that is Hitler wasn't hiding anything. Hitler in his manifesto, Hitler made it very clear what his stated objectives are. And if people took those more seriously, how much pain and suffering might we have saved the world from? Might We might have even been able to hold off World War II. Who knows? But the same holds true with Hamas. So again, I'm not, I'm not covering every Palestinian with this statement. I'm not saying every Israeli is good, but I want to just really focus this, then on, this in on Hamas, okay? And their covenant from 1988, I'm going to read just a few sentences from it, that this is right in their own, their own, their own covenant, their own constitution, if you will. Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it. Their stated objective is to annihilate, to obliterate the nation of Israel. The next point, the basic structure of the Islamic resistant movement consists of Muslims who have given their allegiance to Allah, whom they truly worship. And then they have a quote, I have created the jinn and humans only for the purpose of worshiping who know their duty towards themselves, their families, and country. In all that, they fear Allah and raise the banner of jihad in the face of the oppressors, so that they would rid the land and the people of their uncleanliness, vileness, and evils. They go on to say jihad is its path, and death for the sake of Allah is the loftiest of its wishes. 
There is no solution for the Palestinian question except through jihad. Initiatives, proposals, and international conferences are all a waste of time and vain endeavors. The Palestinian people know better than to consent to having their future rights and fate toyed with. So the objectives are clear. The objectives are we want to wipe Israel off the map. There's nothing in any of Hamas's own covenant. And if you look at the revised charter in 2017, I have some quotes from here too, Brian. I don't know if we'll we'll get to those or not, but there is nothing in there about a two-state solution. We keep hearing on the news about, you know, this this opportunity for a two-state solution. We just we just want a Palestinian state to be recognized. Again, I'm not I'm not claiming that there is not a Palestinian out there who really feels that way. There, there likely may be some Palestinians that that really is their desire, but it is not the desire of Hamas. Hamas has made it very clear that is not their desire. So, John, let, let's also be clear about Hamas that this is a government. This is not just a terrorist organization. This is this is the ruling govern government in Gaza, right? So, I mean, think about our gov- government, and I'm not not to say our government's perfect. But th- this is the charter of the government that's ruling Palestine. But I think it's also important for us to understand that not everybody voted for Hamas. Again, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to say all the Palestinians are um, are innocent at all. But uh, could could you imagine someone who's uh, s- someone who uh, is being characterized by Biden's government who didn't vote for Biden and how frustrating that would be? Now I don't know what the resistance is like in in Gaza. I don't I mean it'd be great if there was a Palestinian resistance like there was in in Germany in Hitler's day, but even the resistance in in Germany didn't it didn't really make a huge impact on Hitler because so many Germans bought into Hitler's sort of nationalistic agenda and and ultimately his anti-Semitism. So again, I think it's just important for everyone who's watching the news, who's listening to this stuff, to to keep this distinction in mind um, that that Hamas is a terrorist organization, but it's also the government of the Palestinian people. It is not for the people. It is not helping the people, which is sad. That's true of many governments around the world. Um, and there are there are true victims in Palestine who are trapped and probably are not fans of Hamas, right? Yeah, to help put in a perspective for our listeners, Hamas was elected into leadership in 2006. So they, they've been ruling the Gaza Strip now for, what's that, 17 years. And and instead of caring for their people, instead of using all of the money that's come in mm. to build infrastructure and hospitals and schools, as we've seen, the vast majority of that money has been has been poured into building tunnels underground, to weaponry, to to be able to continue this war against the nation of Israel. And I'm sure there are Palestinians there who who didn't vote for Hamas, like you said. Uh, I, I don't, can't imagine it was unanimous, uh, but they were they were elected in. So there is this mm-hmm. general, you know, this general disdain among the Palestinian people within the Gaza Strip. And and the reason they were allowed to even do that is Israel withdrew from the Gaza Strip. So again, I'm not, I'm not saying Israel is right and everything. I'm not saying they're perfect, but this is one more concession Israel made. Israel withdrew from the Gaza Strip 
allowed them to have that land and and Hamas was elected in as leadership. And I think, I mean, I don't know how many of our listeners know that that Israel provides the water and the electricity to the Gaza Strip. It's not it's not something they produce themselves. That that's provided from Israel. The comp, the country that they're sending rockets into day after day after day is providing water and electricity for the citizens of the Gaza Strip. Yeah, let's get let's talk a little bit more about just in a second here, John. Let's talk a little bit more about the history of the conflict, the Gaza Strip, even a little bit about the West Bank and how that ties back into some of the conflicts earlier in the 1900s. But before we get to that, I, I do think it would be good to look at the revised charter for Hamas in 2017. Because when I read some of this, I was blown away. I, this is so good for our listeners to hear this. So you talked about the Hamas covenant in 1988, and then they they revised their charter in 2017. Why don't you walk us through some of the bullet points? Like, did they get better? Are, are they pro-Israel now in 2017? Or what happened then? They're definitely not pro-Israel, but you can sense a little, there is a little bit of verbiage change. Uh, to try and garner more international support. So one of the things they say is that Jerusalem is the capital of Palestine. Its religious, historic, and civilizational status is fundamental to the Arabs, Muslims, and world at large. Its Islamic and Christian holy places belong exclusively to the Palestinian people and to the Arab and Islamic Ummah. Not one stone of Jerusalem can be surrendered or relinquished. Now, we're going to get into the timeline, but but Islam wasn't even a religion until 700 AD. The, the Jewish religion had prominence in Jerusalem long before that, literally thou, thousands of years before that. And yet Hamas says that the Islamic and Christian holy places belong exclusively to the Palestinian and Arab people. I mean, to me, that's, that's almost laughable that they would even say that. Uh, then they talk about the Zionist project. So this is Hamas saying the Zionist project is a racist, aggressive, colonial, and expansionist project based on seizing the properties of others. It is hostile to the Palestinian people and to their aspiration for freedom, liberation, return, and self-determination. The Israeli entity is the plaything of the Zionist project and its base of aggression. I'm going to go down to one of the last ones we have on here. Hamas affirms that its conflict is with the Zionist project, not with the Jews because of their religion. Hamas does not wage a struggle against the Jews because they were Jewish, but wages a struggle against the Zionists who occupy Palestine. So it's interesting to me that that they have changed. Well, maybe it's not changed. It's just a, a way, I believe, to, to cloudy what the issue is to to make it a little murky so that that they can garner more international support because if they said oh our struggles with the Jews everybody would say see you're anti-semitic but so they replaced Jews with the word zionist to make it more palatable for those that they want to garner support from okay so let's talk a little bit about that because i think in order to understand the zionist movement i think we need to sort of back up and understand this region of the world in general, and, and John, last week you mentioned this. I thought it was really insightful. That this is a region in the world that is about the size of New Jersey, and it is the center of the world's attention. And really, honestly, it has been for a long, long time. It, you know, the the Holy Land, this area of the world, really, it really is amazing um, how many eyes are on it all around the world. 
Well, this is going to be, you talk about a fast history lesson. <laughs> We're going to cover a couple thousand years here in, in just a few minutes. And so, uh, Brian, feel free to, to interrupt anytime there's something that you want to point out. But I'm going to go all the way back. Again, I mentioned that Islam wasn't really birthed until about 700 AD. And, and you'll hear on the media that Israel is historically Muslim territory. And, and they'll use this, you know, this word Palestine, which Palestine got its name in 135 AD. We'll talk about that in a minute. The Jewish people had been in that area for over a thousand years prior to that. So from about 1400 BC until 136 AD, there was, that area was historically Jewish. Um, so to give you some perspective, for those of you that, that read your Old Testament, uh, the kingdom of David was established in the nation of Israel at approximately 1,000 B.C. So 1,000 B.C., that's when David's kingdom was established. We know his son Solomon ruled after that. And we know after Solomon's death that the nation was split into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And that northern kingdom would eventually be exiled by the Assyrians, and the southern kingdom would be exiled by the Babylonians. Um, they would return from exile. And I don't remember the date, Brian, on the return. I've, I've forgotten the date on the return from exile. Well, would it be like 70 years after? I think it was 70 years after their, so 580, so probably 500 BC, somewhere around, around 510. There. Yeah, I think 510 or five, 500 BC yeah. is when they come Something back. Like that. And so there were, there was continuous Jewish presence in that area. There was obviously at the time of Christ, we know there was a Jewish presence. We know that, you know, there was a second temple uh, that was operating at the time. Uh, that temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And then in 135 AD, the Roman emperor Hadrian expelled all the Jews from the region. There was another revolt that the Jewish people had led. That revolt was, was squashed. And, and he expelled all the Jews. They were literally sent all around the world. And that's when the area was renamed Palestine. And, and he chose that name to add insult to injury because Palestine is a reference to the Philistines, which again were enemies of Israel back when they first began to take the promised land. Then, then Arabs, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump ahead a little bit, Arabs kind of come in and take over the land in approximately 636 AD is when we see a big Arabic presence in what is you know modern-day Israel. We then see in the Great Crusades, which happened around 1099 AD, where there's a battle over the land, and, and they try to take the land back from the Muslims. That was uh, short-lived. The Muslims regained control again. And then we fast-forward all the way now to 1917, which is where we start to see, you know, probably some of the accords and some of the declarations that maybe, you know, our, our listeners would be more familiar with. So something pretty significant happened in 1917, Brian. That was the Balfour Declaration, where Great Britain declared a homeland for the Jews in both Israel and what is now Jordan. Back then, it was called Transjordan. Okay, so let's summarize. So, okay, so. God promised the land to Israel, to Abraham in Genesis 12. We talked about this last week a little bit. 
That was about 2000 BC. So just in rough terms this is helpful for our listeners. Prom- it, the land was promised in about 2000 BC. They took it over Israel. Finally, the, the Exodus, we're talking about 1400 BC. Does that sound about right, John? And then, and then we've got David in 1000 BC. Okay, so these are the kind of big picture numbers. So that was the promised land, David and Solomon. That's the that's the height of the kingdom of Israel. After generations of disobedience and prophets trying to speak to them and get the people of Israel to follow God again, just finally, um, the northern kingdom is dispossessed in 722 BC, the southern kingdom in 586 BC. But John, what you're saying is that basically, even though they they weren't a nation, they weren't a sovereign nation after that. Although for just maybe a brief time during the Maccabean revolt, uh, at about 200 BC ish, for about a hundred years, they they kind of they had a successful revolt, and they they. But aside from that, they haven't had their own. They haven't really possessed the land as a state of Israel until 1947, and so that I think a lot of our modern day listeners don't even understand this, like the richness of the history of this. And I do think it's interesting, John, that you point out that, again, that that today, sometimes you'll hear people say that it's a traditionally Muslim territory. But but again, if you think about it in biblical terms, it's it's certainly not. But what happened, this is where the Zionist movement kind of picked up, right? The Zionist movement was around 1900. And this was started in Europe, where I think there was a lot of anti-Semitism in Europe. And so that's where the Zionist movement started is people basically said, hey, we have all these all these Jews in Europe who are being persecuted. We should let them go back to Israel and we should support this, you know, uh, support the reestablishment base, basically of uh, what we would call today a, the, a state for Israel. Right. So the Balfour Declaration, 1917, that was probably about 20 years after the really the movement sort of started in Europe. This is the declaration that really started to put some teeth to this Zionist movement. So that's right. So that's kind of what's been going on now. Of course, the uh, there, this partition plan in 1937. So this was partitioning. John, do I have this right? It was partitioning. There were two sections. There was the uh, there was the Gaza Strip, which we're talking about. It's in the news today. But then there was also the larger area, the West Bank. And that's where it was all kind of started to be partitioned off. And this area is Muslim, this area is Jewish, and that sort of thing. That that happened in 1947. So the 1937 partition plan basically took away what is now Jordan. So what is now the country of Jordan was taken away from the nation of Israel. So the land that had been originally declared in the Balfour Declaration to be their homeland was present-day Israel and Jordan. So then in 37, that gets shrunk. They take Jordan away. And then we get into 1947, and it's going to get shrunk again. And that's what you're referring to, Brian, that in 1947, under the United Nations partition plan, they're going to give 56% of the land to the Jewish nation, 44% of the land to Arabs. Now, the Jewish got a higher percentage of the land, but most of the land they gave to the Jews was the Negev Desert, so unfertile desert land at the time. The Arab, the Arabs actually got more fertile land, more productive land. Now, the Jewish people accepted the plan, so that the, in, in Israel still not an independent state for like another year, right? I mean, that's going to happen in 1948, 
But they were fine with the plan. The Arabs rejected the plan. And and you're going to see that pattern again. Guys, my heart is not to paint, you know, Arab people as the bad guys. Again, I would say Hamas is the bad guy for sure. Um, But you do see this pattern of the leaders of the Arab nations. I'm going to single out the leaders time and time again, reject any concessions that are made. Anytime there are concessions, anytime Israel comes to the table and says, hey, we're willing to give this, if we can just have this, you see them rejected time and time and time again. So in 1948, for the first time since you mentioned, Brian, probably the Maccabean period, Israel is an independent Jewish state. Comes, you know, comes after the the close of World War II. Um, and and you think, man, maybe, maybe we're finally here. Maybe there's going to be peace in the region. And it just never happens. You know, it's it's a battle that's still fighting today. So then you you fast forward about 20 years to 1967, the Six-Day War. Maybe you remember that from history class when you were in school. Uh, but Israel was attacked literally from all sides. Uh, Arab nations, not just Hamas. This wasn't just one single uh, religious uh, terrorist organization. This is nations from all around them. Attack Israel. Israel's victorious. Uh, they expand their territory, I believe. And our listeners can email me if I'm wrong, but I think that's when they recaptured the Golan Heights. I believe that's when they they took uh, took possession of that area. Then in 1967, there was a, an Arab League summit where the leaders of the Arab nations came together, and and that became famous for the three no's where the leaders of those Arab nations said there'd be no peace, there'd be no recognition of an independent Jewish state, and there would be no negotiations. So again, you just you see that, that there's a side, at least from the leadership, that doesn't want compromise, that doesn't want peace, that doesn't want negotiation. They want to obliterate the nation of Israel. So then in 1973, John, you've got another war and that was that was on Yom Yom Kippur. Um, there were more conflicts. Again, these are just the big conflicts. There were all. There's always been conflict in that region since. I mean, really, since the partition plan in 1937, for sure. Um, I mean, I, I remember growing up, John. I would see this, in, you know, terrorist attacks all the time. Again, these are these are. This was part of the plan. This is kind of coming out of the the no peace, no recognition, no negotiations. It's inciting the Arab people, the Muslim people, it's inciting them to do whatever's necessary to destroy Israel, right? I mean, we just, we read the Hamas, the the declarations from Hamas, but Hamas is just one of the many organizations that that is anti-Israel. Again, they wouldn't say they're anti-Israel. They would say they're anti, anti-Zionist, but really it's anti-Israel. And, uh, and that's why the the attacks in October of 2023 were, I mean, they were brutal, they were terrible, but they were in line with just kind of their strategy all these years for 50 plus years. Yeah, I watched some some videos that I wished I hadn't watched on uh, on the attacks of that day. I'm sure some of our listeners have seen some of those. It it really was. I mean, you just felt like you were looking in the face of evil. And again, I'm I'm just talking about the men who carried out those attacks. I'm not making a general statement towards every Palestinian by any means. I'm not making a general statement towards all the people in Gaza, but the people who carried out those attacks who were calling their mom and dad and and cheering and screaming that they had killed 
Jews who were taking selfies with mutilated bodies. I mean, there was no, there was no remorse. There was no, I mean, look, bad things happen in war. You know, if we're going to sit here as Americans and act like we've never killed civilians and act like we've never, you know, uh, had, had casualties like that, um, we'd be fooling ourselves. And, and I'm sure there have even been American soldiers who have shot people who are trying to surrender. Uh, and I, I mean, I, man, I love our military. I thank God every day for the men and women who serve our country, but we're broken people. So let's be honest. I'm sure that's happened, but we don't celebrate that. We don't, we don't bring them back home and throw a ticker tape parade for a soldier who would do that. What do we do? We court martial them. You know, we convict them of war crimes. Like we don't celebrate those kinds of things. And to see the way that was celebrated, you know, I remember that the young German girl who was drug around town after she'd been raped and killed and, and hundreds and hundreds of people cheering and celebrating and kicking her dead body. Guys, I just remember thinking, man, that is, that is evil. And I would just remind us that behind all of this, behind all this stuff we've talked about, it's a spiritual battle, Mm. right? We're told in the New Testament that our battle is not against flesh and blood. This is not, I mean, honestly, it's not even a Jewish-Palestinian battle. This is a good versus evil battle. This Mm. is the prince of this world. This is the devil trying to steal and kill and destroy because that's what he does. Well, I think it's a good reminder to us, John, that we need to be hitting our knees on this and not and not be pulled into the evil side. Because, you know, again, I think we need to we need to pray pray for people to receive the gospel. We need to pray for the protection of innocent civilians on both sides of the border. We need to pray that God God's will would be done. I think we should just really be careful not to justify in the name of nationalism, justify sin, because essentially that's what what Hamas is doing is they're saying by any by any means necessary and then and I think that's a slippery slope, obviously, for them. You could see how that led to evil. And I think we, you know, we'd be fooling ourselves to, to say we couldn't do the same thing. I think if if we if we forget that God cares about humans, that God cares about women and children and men, that God God cares about a nation. But I, to me, it, it also puts on display just this. Um, we've mentioned it a couple of times, just the hatred and anti-Semitism of Hamas, but but we should guard against that in our own hearts as well, that we're not given to hatred or anti-something. Obviously, obviously we're anti-evil, but man, it sure is easy. It's easy to justify the other antis if we're not careful. That's why we have to just stay rooted in God's word and in his principles. And, you know, we are a culture, we're a nation that is established, you know, you read just a, a little bit ago, John, you read the, the uh, kind of the, the constitution, so to speak, of Hamas. And, and let's just con- contrast that with our constitution and our founding fathers and our original documents and life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Let's not forget that we need to be rooted in godly biblical principles or we too as a nation, I mean, this is for another topic, but we too as a nation, I think can, can, can just be on the side of evil, not on the side of good. Yeah, I was convicted when we were prepping this that, you know, the members of Hamas are created in the image of God. I mean, I, I know you know that, but but really think about that, that that even those atrocities, there's 
there's this way that God calls me to love my enemies where I should hate the act. I should absolutely hate it. I should despise it. I can guarantee you God despised the things that were carried out that day, but yet I still should pray for that person. I should pray that God would redeem them, that God would rescue them, that God would cause them to see the evil that they've committed, that they'd be broken over it, that he would that he would bring them salvation. And you know, so often I forget Paul was a religious terrorist. <laughs> right? The Apostle Paul, a man that, that God used to write the majority of the New Testament, that that um he started out by persecuting Christians. He was having them arrested, he was having them killed. You know, they says that they laid their garments at his feet when they stoned Stephen and he gave his approval. So God, God can use the the most unlikely of people. Um, you know, I think I mentioned this on our last podcast, but but the son of one of the Hamas founders is is a Christian. Again, I don't know anything about the personal fruit in his life, but he professes to be a Christian, and he professes that in in intense persecution. So I I can't imagine he's doing it just for show. And so if God can change his heart, he can change the hearts of others. So again, I'll go back to this this verse I mentioned briefly. I kind of paraphrase it, but Ephesians 6.12, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So there is a spiritual battle going on behind all of this. And and I think that's where we need to we need to be on our knees and praying. You know, I, we kind of got into the two different theological views, but but the way that I lean, I believe that if the devil can wipe Israel off the map, he can cause God to look like a liar because of promises in the Bible to the nation of Israel. And so I think that's one of the reasons there is so much hatred and contempt. I think this is the devil's shot to make God look like he can't fulfill his promises. Oh, that's good. That's good. Should we get back to our history lesson, John? So I think we left off on the Oslo Accords. I, some people maybe are familiar with that. That that there were two of them. Nineteen ninety three, Oslo one. This is where the White House tried to broker this deal between Israel and the PLO. It looked like it was going well, and then they had to do Oslo two. Um, basically, John, what they did here is they were trying to split up, um, like the West Bank, for example, Oslo two. They they if you've ever seen a map of this of the, of the West Bank, where these all these different zones, zone area A, area B, area C, A and B, what, that was for Palestinian control. Um, Area C was for Israeli control, and they were trying to they were trying to you know broker this two state solution. Like, hey, let's all just let's. How about you just share the area? I, I think uh, is isn't Jerusalem on the edge of the West Bank, and so Jerusalem was was partitioned as well. And and so again, on the one hand, this is a breakthrough, but the, on the other hand, I think you could just say this is just part of the ongoing conflict, right? Because there's it's not like it's it ultimately solved the problem. It didn't. I mean, the the Palestinian, the, the PLO leader, I can't remember his name at the time, um, basically rejected it when it was all said and done after all the meetings were finished. Again, it's back to those three no's. There's going to be no peace, no recognition, and no negotiation. Um, and it's interesting that it's called the West Bank, but when you're looking at the map, it's on the east side of Israel. So if you ever wondered why do they call it the West Bank, it's because it's on the west bank of the Jordan River. So that that's how that territory got its name. That from from the Palestinian perspective, it's the western side of the Jordan River that they lay claim to, and and as you said, it does include Jerusalem. 
And if I'm not mistaken, that's the area that's currently controlled by Hezbollah, not Hamas. Correct? The West Bank. So, um, and that that's a whole different animal. That's not really part of our conversation today. We're kind of focusing more in on Hamas, but you know, a similar situation with with that organization who is also committed to the annihilation of Israel. So, John, what where do we again as Christians? You know, hopefully our listeners are more informed now, and and they realize honestly. Whenever I think about this stuff, I'm just like, I don't even know what the answer is. I don't even know what the solution is. I mean, if if I was I've told my friends this, John, if I was Israeli and somebody offered to let me move to the United States or to Canada or to Mexico or whatever, I would be like, get me and my family out of here. Now, again, maybe that's a that's a easy for me to say. I mean, this is their homeland. This is where I mean, they're, they're, they've got their own reasons to be there as well. But I just I, I just think about the just the the kibbutzes that were exposed to these attacks. And I'm just. It's just devastating to think about this and then to think, is this ever going to end? You know, how do we, you know, how do we, how do we respond to this in America? You know, some people are just probably tempted to say, not my problem, man. I live, I live in my nice little neighborhood in the suburbs and, and it's not my problem. I feel bad for these guys, but it's not my problem. Like what, what's, what's the takeaway, I guess, John, for our Christian listeners who want to do their part, who want to be followers of Jesus that somehow make an impact? Can we? And what do we do? Well, I I think there might be different levels of response depending upon your situation and and what God's putting on your heart. But the, the baseline that all of us should do is we should all be praying for the situation. We should pray for Israel because we're told to, but we should also pray for Hamas, pray for Palestinians caught in the conflict, pray for citizens in Gaza. You know, and again, I do believe there's a good side and a bad side in this conflict, but that doesn't mean I don't pray for those that I consider to be the bad guys. Jesus said, I'm supposed to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me. So I, I need to be praying for everyone involved in the situation. I, I think we need to be, I think we need to be willing to speak the right truth at the right time. I I don't know that all of us need to go around that you know our local towns with a sign that says I stand with Israel maybe maybe God's calling you to do that I don't know but but I think the right truth at the right time you know when you hear someone saying oh they just stole land that's historically always been muslim that's just not accurate now whether it's right or wrong or good or bad I mean that you know you might have a different perspective on that but that's it's not an it's not accurate that I can say at least that that land if you look at the grand scheme of of human history, that land has not historically been Muslim. It, it was a Jewish land long before uh, it was a Muslim land. So just things like that to be, or even to ask someone, why do you say that, right? Because so many people, I think, just spout off something they heard on a quick YouTube short or or Fox News or CNN or whatever your news channel is that you like to go to, and and that's probably even me. You know, like I. I I spent several hours researching some of the history behind this because I was ignorant of it. And I think we need to be willing to say, hey, there's a lot of things I'm I'm ignorant of. So, you know, Proverbs talks about a truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even tempered. And then the very next verse says, even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. So if I don't really know what I'm talking about. Sometimes I just need to be quiet. I need to keep learning. I need to keep reading. I need to keep listening 
to other people's perspectives. Well, that was the goal for this episode. We knew, you know, we've known for months that we've needed to do some content on this conflict. I've been studying it myself. I've been trying to understand this biblically. I've been trying to understand them, this thing historically, really, you know, understanding the conflict from the early 1900s until today. And and I hope this has been helpful to our listeners. That we've got show notes down below. If you want to, any, any of these references we've made, we will include them in the show notes below. But look, at the end of the day, pray for peace. I mean, we started, John, we started at the beginning of this episode, like we started the last or like we finished the last episode uh, with Psalm 122, verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And man, is that is that not a great way to end the episode? We encourage you, we implore you to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and of Israel and this part of the world. Pray for, pray for the Jewish people to know Jesus in this. Pray for the Palestinian people to know Jesus in this. Pray against the evil of Hamas and any terrorists who are trying to get rid of the Israelites, to get rid of the people, a whole people group. Pray that God's will would be done. And uh, at the very least, that's the part that we can play. And I encourage you, if you're listening to this, I encourage you to do that. And continue to tune in uh, throughout this year. We're going we're gonna to try to cover some more of these types of topics. We want to occasionally, and our goal with the Pursue God podcast is to help you to understand a biblical worldview. We don't have a political agenda. We don't have a, a specific take or bent that we have, aside from just that we want to elevate God's word and help people to think biblically about stuff in their world. So this year, we're going to be doing a lot more kind of current event stuff. You're not going to necessarily find this in the uh, content at PursueGod.org. It's, this is not really necessarily evergreen content. This is, this is some, some of this content is more up to, the, up to the date. And so we encourage you to keep listening to the podcast for this kind of stuff and then turn these podcasts into conversations. Share these podcasts with friends and, and learn how to think biblically about the world that you live in.